Welcome to the Thrive Space Podcast, conversations that cultivate your heart and your company. What really motivates you as a leader? If you've been with us for the last four episodes, you have discovered what drives your decisions and responses, either respect, value, or approval. Thanks for joining us today. John Erickson and Dennis Humphrey here to dig into the sixth episode on the Thrive Space podcast. Today, we're gonna continue the discussion we started last month with my daughter, Liz Humphrey, around the characters of an immensely popular television series now made into two movies, Downton Abbey. Last month, we saw the nuances of our root motivations in the downstairs characters who played out the creative vision of Julian Fellows, who wrote almost every word of dialogue for the six seasons in both movies. Today, we're gonna continue with the second part of our podcast by focusing on the upstairs characters of Downton Abbey and how they build out their relationships and respond to their situations. Let's get started. We spent three podcasts discussing our root motivations, respect, value, and approval. And we thought it would be helpful to highlight those in personalities, relationships, and conversations. And that's why we chose to use the characters of Downton Abbey. Joining us again for our conversation today is my own daughter, Elizabeth Humphrey, a pediatrician at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago and renowned Downton Abbey enthusiast. Liz, you're the perfect guest for this podcast, not only because we both love you so much, but because we know that you will help us bring to life these characters in a way they show us our own responses to life's challenges. Welcome, Liz, and thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. It's nice to be on today. Let's move uh, upstairs and let's talk about, you know, who are the characters upstairs? What are your favorites or what are the ones that you you wish you didn't have to see very much of? Uh, what, what do you think about those folks up there? I mean, so there's upstairs, the three sisters. I love Mary. Mary is the oldest. She is the strong center of the three sisters. And she, I, like I mentioned earlier, has this famous line where heaven, she says, um, haven't you heard? I don't have a heart. She comes off very cold, very logical, but it's very obvious that she is not that at all. Even just from the very beginning, it is all a front and underneath is just this core of, you know, I really want to be vulnerable and loved, but feel like I can't in my position. I really like her. I am not the biggest fan of the second sister. And I know that the show is almost designed so that we hate her. Um, Poor Edith. Edith, Poor Edith. That is the line of the show. It's the second sister, Edith. She is, she is very, uh, how do I describe her? Whiny, I suppose, kind of feels like, you know, a middle child might that she's put upon in life and that everything is just kind of happening to her Mm -hmm. and she has no agency and that, that changes over the course of the show, but at the beginning, that's who she is. And so it's beginning. I haven't liked her very much. And then sweet Sybil, the youngest child who I very much love. She's this fierce independent person who loves her family and, and loves being together with them and just harmony, but at the same time, isn't willing to sacrifice that for what she wants to do with her life. And is kind of the one 
Whereas Mary feels like she can't be vulnerable and makes herself, you know, the strong like rod of the family. Sybil is like, well, I love the family and I love all of that. But at the same time, I'm just going to live my own life. Um, It's really cool to see those relationships between the three of them. I love them very much. (laughs) If you had to label them, you know, how would you see them? Mary, I would see as respect, I think, just because she can't be wrong. The amount of times in that show, I think even her love interest and then fiance, Matthew, and then later on her other love interest, um, they run into the same conflict where Mary can't be vulnerable. She can't be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, their fights are terrible because she just will not yield. She is the most unyielding character, I think, on the show, besides maybe Carson, both of them. And I think maybe that's why they get along so well in that space is because Carson is able to kind of look at Mary and say, hey, like, I made that same kind of mistake. Don't do that. When she just kind of like soldiers forward. Edith, ooh, Edith, I go back and forth on her. I think that she's probably approval. She also like, like Daisy downstairs tries out a million things before she finally finds her core and her center and who she is. She tries farming. She tries journalism. She tries nursing. She has, again, four different fiancés or three different fiancés and each of them for very different reasons. Um, All of them to do with just wanting to be loved and adored. And she... Yeah, she she kind of is that same kind of shapeshifter character. Sybil, Sybil's a bit hard for me to define because I feel like she is actually, and I don't, you might disagree with me on this, but maybe one of the most healthy characters on the show in the Mm -hmm. sense that she just, she just does what she's going to do and isn't going, like she really wants the love and support of her family. But at the end of the day, if they're not going to, tell her what if they're not gonna accept her she's like that's okay I'm still gonna live my life it might be respect it might be value but in a more healthy manifestation where she is like well you're not giving me the value I want I've already found it over here so I'm not gonna go chasing it from you I've found my value I know what it is and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go live it yeah um yeah I, I think Sybil is a good demonstration of that. You know, there's a, there's an upside and a downside to each of these motivations and, and Sybil's it's, it's sometimes hard when someone really has a hold of their motivation, working it well, not following their entitlements. It can be hard to tell because they're operating out of health at that point and they're not leveraging their entitlement to get, you know, their need met. Yeah, that's, uh, I think Sybil is very interesting because, you know, she does eventually get uh, connected with Tom Branson, spoiler alert, who is the driver, but uh, he's also the Irish Irish person who's kind of the rebel, doesn't like the, the, the monarchy, you know, doesn't like the, the English aristocracy, you know, and so he makes that known early on, but then Sybil actually is able to come into a relationship with him and, and inspire him to be who he really is so much so that Tom actually comes back into the family as one of the most important members of the family. 
Um, so it's very interesting how Sybil's encouragement and inspiration of Tom Branson really shifts around his entire life. Um, you know, and even even through the tragedy and through other things that happen, you know, it's just amazing to watch that transition of Tom happen almost completely because of Sybil and Sybil's daughter, you know, and their daughter. So, so let's pick, but now you have kind of, you know, there's this, there's the quote unquote elephant in the room here of the most important person in Downton Abbey. Of course, you have Lord Grantham and, you know, Robert Crawley, you have Lady Grantham, Cora Crawley. But, and of course, and it's very obvious that, that, that Lord Grantham is approval based, but he's very wise in how he applies that. Um, I love the scene where they want to put uh, houses, you know, uh, they want to use the property, Tom and Mary, who are now managing the property and they need it to make money because they've, you know, because, you know, because of his fear, Lord Grantham has lost his ability to pay for his estate twice. And so it took two infusions of capital you know, for him to save Downton Abbey. Um, and through that, he's learned he wants to manage that better. He lets Tom and, and Mary get involved with that, but then they have a, a scheme to bring property onto the, you know, buy property or have people build build houses on their land. And that just, that goes against everything Lord Grantham wants. So he's torn up inside and eventually you see him come back with a compromise that actually gets everything done in a very wise way, have property that's built in a certain way, you know, use the, use all the tenants, you know, relationship with them. Well, so I just really appreciate how they work him out as a, as a wise, even though he is often paralyzed by his, he hates conflict. You just notice how much he hates conflict, especially with Mary or with the daughters or between the people in the family or with his mother, the Dowager Countess, you know, he hates conflict with her, but at the same time, he holds his sway, you know. So that's kind of those characters. And, and, and Cora, you know, Crawley, uh, Lady Grantham, she's a very strong but kind person, kind of hard to pin her down because she too is so wise in how she operates. I don't know, what do you think about her in terms of, in terms of her motivation? Yeah, I was thinking about her before this, before we started recording this, and I was having a hard time trying to figure out kind of what her motivations were. And I I don't know if that's because Julian Fellows has written her as this character that's just kind of like very just like motherly and she kind of exists to be that motherly and wise character. She does have some of the same think appro um, approval or maybe sometimes respect where she she does like optics and how things look when we were talking about Mr. Bates earlier and his limp there's this whole controversy at the beginning of the show where Cora is you know she and this is really terrible but brings up like how does it look to have a valet who is a cripple and those are the words she uses and uh, and it sends Lord Grantham into this spiral because he is all about the approval of above all his wife, but also who, who's all looking at me and what do I need to do? So I think that she might have some of the same, you know, there's a right way to do things. There's a kind of respect, but again, is, is able to use that very wisely. But yeah, she's another one who I just, it's hard to pin down for me. Yeah. What's interesting about this is that we're noticing that with root motivations, they play through a couple of things. 
they play through the personality of the person. You know, so you notice that the pride-based personalities or the, the we're talking about the respect-based personalities for you, a Carson, uh, Mr. Carson, pride-based, you know, respect-based person looks very different than, for example, an Anna, whom I guess is probably is also, uh, I would guess is probably a, a respect-based person. It's hard to kind of tell, but the reason it's hard to tell, and with with Lady Grantham, with uh, you know Cora Crawley, it's it's hard to tell because they they they've learned through through time and and wisdom and through operating through maturity and emotional intelligence, they have learned how to kind of diminish their entitlement to what their root motivation would have them behave with. And they've actually learned how to, to act out of their antithesis so much of the time. And I think I like that about these characters because some never get there, like O'Brien never gets there. Thomas, maybe eventually, I'm not sure. But someone like Cora Crawley, Lady Grantham, or someone you know uh, like Anna, they've learned how to do it. They've learned how to live out of the other side, which I really like. Yeah, I think you're you're picking up on something that I don't know if I realize until now that it is sometimes easier to tell in the younger characters, right? Because they are so just kind of discovering who they are, a sense the way you know we're young, we're discovering who we are. You and just you act very instinctually and out of these motivations to try and figure out who you are and get what you want. But then the older you get, the more interactions you have, the more relationships you cultivate, you start seeing other people's perspective. And so those core root motivations, while they still might be there, you learn to act out of different motivations. You learn to kind of quiet that side of you and bring out other sides. And, and that's, that's the beauty of getting older, I think. And it's really fun. I'm still quite young, but it is really fun to, to teach younger kids. I interact with younger medical students all the time who are you know, five, six years younger than me. And even just seeing the kinds of the ways that they interact with each other and the way they interact with patients and how different it is with the way that I might interact with patients. And even then it's, you know, it's very obvious that they're, they're still forming and learning how to act in these environments. And I think you see that in Downton Abbey, as weird as that is, you see that, you know, the younger these characters are, and then as they go through their mishaps, they learn and they grow and develop. And then they have these wiser characters who have already gone through that to, mm -hmm. to kind of reflect back at them. Yeah, that's really insightful. I think Liz is right. And, you know, I would look at Anna Smith as kind of a, in she, like, she's right in the middle of that. She's not young, she's not old. So you see it pop in and out for her, uh, her, her approval base and, and her ability to be, want to be peacemaker and connect and reading the room and all that comes with approval based person. So I, th I think you're right, Liz. I think that's good observation. So we, uh, we've left for the end here of our discussion, obviously the most important character in Downton Abbey, uh, where there would be no Downton Abbey if it were not for uh, the inv involuable Dowager Countess Violet Crawley, who is uh, Lord Grantham's mother and who presides over this entire set of relationships as she has for probably now 80 years <laughs> or something. And though she has no formal authority, 
you know, she's the mother of the Lord now. She has amazing, amazingly powerful influence over this entire process. And not only that, you know, the, the Maggie Smith character that plays this Violet Crawley Dowager Countess uh, personality, you know, she's just perfect for this role because she's able to bring this level of kind of ancient um there's a, what's the character who's who's the uh the, the character in the lord of the rings you know the uh the wizard gandalf, gandalf. gandalf. she brings this gandalf like <laughs> personality you know to the situation a little bit snarky a little bit sarcastic but at the same time depth of of wisdom and character and of course, you know, there's no way you get around the fact that you see immediately just from the first interactions what her root motivation is. Um, you know, Isabel, who is her uh, cousin, uh, Mrs. Crawley, uh, Matthew Crawley's mother, and they have multiple different arguments and tits and tats and, and, and little, you know, fights together, you know, but they love each other dearly, but they still fuss around with each other all the time. And in one of those, uh, they're having a discussion about something about a hospital a change that's going to happen in the t in in the village there. And Isabel, uh, Mrs. Crawley, says to her, "Ah, uh, how you hate to be wrong." And uh, and the Dowager Countess answers, "I wouldn't know. I'm not familiar with the sensation." And it's yeah. just those kinds of, <laughs> of of things that she constantly says. That you you see that she is a pride based you know a very strong uh, respect based respect. I'm never wrong. I can't be wrong. I don't know what that means to be wrong. It's not possible. It's beyond that. It's it's like she sits in total amazement when people actually see the world differently than her. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> and those are those how, are how the could moments you even do it any other way? Those are the moments that are so funny, too, because she'll come up in opposition with, you know, in a sense, the real world. She has lived in this this ivory tower of nobility. And so her famous line is, what is a weekend? Yeah. Because she doesn't know what it means to work five days. And so <laughs> how how can that be a thing that exists in the world that some people are working some days and not working others. And that's called a weekend, right? She, she has this very unique view of the world in that way. And it is the right one. That's just how things are. And at the same time, she's pushed all the way up against the differences and the changes that are happening. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, and so she's forced all the time when, when, uh, when the the gal who come when Shirley MacLaine, you know Martha Levinson comes in as the other grandmother, you know uh, from from America, she's uh, mm -hmm. Cora Crawley's mother, and just a complete opposite character, you know. Uh, she's flamboyant. She's obviously very wealthy, but comes from the American aristocracy, you know, and so totally different. And they, you can see that they completely disrespect each other in terms of oh yeah their background and how they see the world. And, you know, the Shirley MacLaine character is just perfect because they're standing in the hallway once and, and, uh, you know, they're kind of seeing each other in this, in this almost disgust, you know, they look uh, and this the dowager looks at her and says, how could you possibly, you know, know anything about what is proper 
you know, it must be terrible for you to look in the mirror, you know? And yeah. then uh, she turns around, Shirley McLean turns around and says, yeah, but when I look in the mirror, I see someone who actually is moving forward, not backwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, th- those aren't quotes, but just that whole idea that, that uh, the Dowager Countess is, is moving very, very slowly toward the future, uh, mm-hmm. very reluctantly. But at the same time, she's able to, as we said, with age, there are times when she's able to say something. Uh, I think the scene that touches me the most is later on um, when Mary's trying to figure out whether or not she should get married, you know, to this, you know, she's been through four or five different guys at this point after, the, you know, the tragedies of her existence. Um, but when she finally, you know, she finally gets to Henry Talbot, uh, and uh, the, the process is there and she's trying to figure out what to do. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the Dowager Countess comes into her bedroom and she has a very touching conversation with her about what it, why love is the most important. Sometimes you just you have to make a decision out of love because that's the only thing that makes sense. And yeah. Mary's able to take that. And then another scene you remember near the end of the movie um, where she has to tell the lady mary that it's going to be her she's the next generation she will be the she will be the dowager countess at some point you know uh, over this entire estate as she's run it for the next 50 years and sees it passed on to the next generation and inspires her to say yes this is something worth doing so as much as the dowager countess is always right She's also probably the wisest character in the entire process. I don't know. That's just kind of my reflection on all that. So I'm not sure what you guys. Yeah, I mean, she has seen so much time, right? And so much life. And, you know, Maggie Smith, the actress, does an amazing job of giving us an idea of this character who, yes, has lived in this noble life, but is also, you know, aware of what's going on. She's not, she's not an idiot. You know, what is a weekend is a funny line, but it's not meant to diminish that this person has been around for a long time, knows how to manage people in the way that she was taught and has learned a lot over her many years. And she's another one of those characters who, for Mary, like Carson, in a way, she's this older respect-based person who can kind of reflect back to Mary, like, here, look at I can see what's going on because I was you and I have felt that and here were the mistakes I made. So don't do that. And there are multiple times across the show where Violet is able to do that for other characters and reflect back. And part of that is her just bluntness and not really caring whether she's wrong because she's very sure that she's right. Um, She's like total lack of, you know, tactfulness Mm -hmm. Um, and, tough love but you know gives it very well yeah so you notice you know as you just as we've been talking through the root motivations respect and uh, and value and approval you notice in all these characters as they're written by julian fellows you just you get a sense of when when one of these root motivations is operating in a way that's out of weakness and it's out of fear it it really isn't effective and when it when it can be turned around and become wisdom or inspiration or peacemaking. And then it becomes enormously valuable to the people that are around you and your relationships. 
And uh, even as we talk about, you know, um, the Dowager Countess Maggie Smith's character and how she's able to say, you know, she has nothing to lose. It doesn't really matter whether anybody likes her or not at this point in her life. You know, she's going to be who she is. She doesn't do things because she needs people to like her. But at the same time, she's also able to bring a huge amount of wisdom to bear. And you look at Lord Grantham, you know, as much as he wants people to like and approve who he is and his job and his 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 status as, you know, Lord Grantham and, and the owner and operator of this estate, Downton Abbey, and wants the people around to respect what that means. And, you know, it's hard for him to make decisions sometimes. You see through the series that his age and his position have brought him to a place where he can be wisely making peace with people and get things done and lower the noise of conflict. So I just feel like throughout the process, you see people who are able um, to use who they are as they grow in their lives to understand. I don't know how well, it's hard, hard to guess how well everybody in this, in this show understood themselves. But I think <laughs> that their, their creator uh, gave them some self-awareness uh, that they needed. Well, that's our take on the upstairs characters of Downton Abbey. So we've been talking for a while. It's been a lot of fun, Liz. Thanks for sharing your insight and your, your love for this process, for this uh, show. It is, it's, uh, it's meant just to be a way for us to talk through you know, how these things work out in relationships. Liz, great to have you on the show. Always love to hear what you have to say and think about things. That's Thanks great. for having me both. I think that this is a very useful way to demonstrate all of the root motivations without actually targeting real people. I think it's a very effective way to show what you what you guys have developed and talked about because these things do work in real life. Um, I've I've used them in my own life to assess my own motivations and why I do things and to better understand people around me. So it's fun to apply them to these characters that I love so much. And I now realize I know way too much about. Well, Liz, you know, it's it's been good escape for all the schooling you've done. So I'm sure that's it's been a value to you in that way. So thanks for joining us today, Liz. It's been a delight just to talk with you and about root motivations. And so as we as we close out here, you know, we have a couple questions for you uh, who are listening. You know, how do the root motivations of respect, value, or approval show up in your life, your work, and your relationships? How do you uh, change your approach to another person when you understand how they are motivated? And the last thing for you is, you know, what about having a conversation with your team about root, root motivations and and how they can thrive out of those things and their personality as you all work together in your setting. We're glad you joined us today. Our continuing conversations here at this podcast are going to bring life to your ideas and they're going to cultivate your growth and your success as a leader. You can access uh, other episodes, more great information at thrivespacepodcast.com. Uh, we publish a monthly blog that's available on our website. There's a helpful chart on root motivations in the resource area. We're glad you joined us today. Thank you for being part of what we're doing. Thank you, Liz, again for joining us. And with that, uh, we will see you next month. Mm -hmm.